Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is week eight of our series, Chosen Royalty. Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis uh, talks about, uh, you know, he has this chapter on friendship and he shares his personal story where he says he learned a great deal about the nature of friendship. He shares a story about this uh, group of three men that he was a part of, where they were incredibly close friends. You know, there was Lewis, and then there was a man named Ronald, and another named Charles. They were all professors at Oxford University. Um, You know, they spent an incredible amount of time together, had an incredible friendship in the three of them. But one, one time, the tragedy struck, and Charles died. And as Lewis grieved over the death of this close friend, He said that he found some consolation in the fact that he knew that he still had Ronald as a friend. And in fact, he thought, if anything, that in the time to come, that his friendship with Ronald might even grow deeper. Because in a sense, beforehand, there were the three of them, and now there was just going to be the two of them, and and it it might draw more. He might get more of Ronald, in a sense, than he did before. But then he said that as the weeks and months passed, he he found out that he was wrong. And the reason about why he was wrong taught him something not only about the nature of friendship, but also it taught him a great deal about his relationship with God. Now, as we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians, this morning we've come to the end of chapter 2, and and here we're going to see that God is really teaching us a lot lot about the church. Again, not just our personal walk, but about the church specifically. And and we're going to see that when we talk about the church, he's not calling us to be part of an organization where we meet once a week and we kind of talk about things that we agree on or that that we're a group that meets together where we have some common goals. But he calls us to form a kind of community that is unlike anything in the world around us, a community that is, in a sense, so radical in nature that it will transform anyone who's a part of it. Now, this is a kind of community that isn't natural. It doesn't come naturally or easily. It's hard because it not only goes against our culture, but it goes against something about our own nature. In fact, even to start to make this point, I feel like I need to go back and review some of of, uh, what we talked about last week. If you were with us last week, um, you know, these are some ideas that we touched on because really what we're seeing here is this is a continuation of what Paul started on last week in in, uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. And what we saw then is we saw the problem of, of uh, divisions amongst people. You know, they have barriers and divisions and hostility. And, and we saw that it all goes back to the beginning of humanity, literally. We, we looked at Genesis 3 because all of our interpersonal problems start with the fall. Think about it. Before the fall, Adam and Eve had the perfect relationship with each other. They related to each other. They were totally open. They had the perfect relationship because there was nothing to interfere with their in- intimacy. However, sin came, and as soon as sin comes, it changes the picture. We read in Genesis 3, 7, that after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, the very first thing that happened, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Now, one of the things that we asked last week is that it says that they realized they were naked. Well, if they realized they were naked, still, why were they making clothes for each other? Think about it. They Who were they afraid was going to see them? I mean, they are husband and wife, the only people on the planet Earth. And being husband and wife, there wasn't anything about each other that the other one hadn't seen. You know, so who are they hiding from? You know, are they covering themselves with the animals? What's what's going on here? 
Why did they feel the need to do this? And one of the things that we talked about is that the need to, in a sense, hide their sense of nakedness wasn't just their physical nakedness, but they suddenly realized that they were, in a sense, naked spiritually. They were exposed spiritually. For the first time in their existence, they had something to be ashamed of. They had something that they felt like they needed to hide. And so the whole process of making clothes was this really ineffective attempt to try to cover up their shame. And what we need to realize is what they did there is what we have been doing ever since. Why? Because we all have things that we feel the need to be ashamed of. We have things to hide. We have things that we don't want other people to know. So what we do is we build up layers, layers to keep people from seeing the real us, from, you know, from dealing with our, our wounds and our sensitive parts and the things that we're afraid of. And, but what we need to realize is those barriers that protect us from other people also keep us from building the relationships that we desperately need and long for. Because part of us does long for those relationships. We all want to be truly known. We want to be accepted. We were created for that. And yet, because we have this shame, we, we put up walls, we put up masks, and we have relationships where we hide behind those masks and we never experience the kind of true community God has called us to. Now, we saw that introduction, and then we saw in Genesis 2, or Ephesians 2, 11 through 19 last week, that, um, that the power of the gospel deals with divisions amongst people. Part of those walls leads to then amongst people, hostilities and divisions and hatred, things that are centuries old and yet we still have today. And it really hasn't changed much. So we have racism and we have political division and we have um, you know, or religious differences and all these things, things that are still in the news today have been in the news for two, thousands of years ago. Things that, that the culture can't, you know, all our, our efforts to fix it just kind of shifts the problem. And yet Paul's saying it's in the church that it's the one place where those differences are really destroyed. You see, what he's saying is while we are naturally divided by those things, it's in the gospel, the power of the gospel, that there's healing. Look what he says in verse, uh, verse 15. It says that, that because of the power of the gospel of God, God has now creates in himself one new man in place of the two. We were two before. We were separated. But yet now we're one. There's a unity. And he makes peace. Why? Because the root of all our divisions were our alienation from God. Because we're alienated from God, that leads to hiding and it leads to alienation through other people. And when the God, through the gospel, God reconciles us to God, it begins the process of reconciling us to each, each other. That's what he says in verse 16. That he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. When we're fixed in our relationship with God, it begins the process of killing the hostility amongst each other. That's what God has called us to be as a church. Now, what we're going to see now is a continuation. Verse 19 through 22 continues that thought. But what it teaches is God's goal isn't just to break down the barriers of division that is everywhere else in the culture. That's a starting point. But God isn't just to get us to not, you know, to stop hating each other. But he also wants us to go beyond that and then to build this radical community of love and acceptance and encouragement where we, where we encourage each other, relate to each other in a way that is so radical that it's different than any, anywhere outside of the church. It's what Jesus talked about in John 13 when he said, by, all, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And what Jesus is saying is that when an unbeliever walks into the church, they should see something going on in the church by the nature of our love for one another that is different, that's radical, so much so that they look at that and you say, man, these people must be followers of Jesus. That's what God calls us to. Now, let's go back to Genesis, you know, because we say, okay, this is what part of us wants. We were created for this, but yet we have this problem. Even as we build the walls, we long to go back to what we're created for. And in fact, let me even illustrate this. How many of you remember the old TV show, Cheers? And, uh, you know, some of you, if you don't remember that, it's, I'm not going to even talk about the show, but they have a, a it's the theme song I want to talk about. They have a theme song, it's a really simple theme song. You might be like me, you listen to a song countless times and you, you know, you never listen to the words. I want you to listen to the words this time because it says something about this nature that we have to be accepted, to be known, to have community. Listen to the words. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Troubles are all the same. this place where, where we're valued, where people know us, not only that, but where they're glad you came, where you come in and people are, they not only know you, but they value, they, they value who you are. We want to be a place where we can be real, where we can be open about our struggles and our problems. Why? Because we want to be a place where we can see all our troubles are all the same, that we're all struggling, we can be open, we're there. We desperately want this kind of community where we're accepted in that way. But the problem is, is that we look at that and we long for it, but for most people, that's only a place in fiction. Um, see, we, on the one hand, long at the deepest level of our soul for true acceptance, true community, where we're deeply known and valued. But at the very same time, on the other hand, this is the very thing that we fear the most. Because if we fear that if somebody really gets to know us that well, they won't value us. They won't accept us. They won't approve us. They're going to reject us. So what do we do? Like Adam and Eve, we put up walls. You know, we, we relate to each other behind our walls, relating mask to mask. Now, as we look into the Bible, what do we see? Genesis, or, Genesis or, or, or John chapter 13, Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. What we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 2, what the Bible is teaching is that it is the church where these walls should be broken down. It's the church where we find this true community that our soul hungers for. That part of us fears, but because of the power of the gospel, it allows us to get beyond the fear and experience true community, something that as much as we will try to find in the culture, we will never find this because it's of a different nature. And so we've got to see it's something that's incredibly important, actually important for a number of different reasons. Um, in fact, one thing we kind of referenced before is that this is a continuation of 
of uh, what the Paul, point Paul started to make in verse you know, uh, 2.11, what we looked at last week. But if you look at that, it's not only a continuation of that, it's a continuation of the whole thought. In fact, if you look at Ephesians 2.11, it starts off, therefore, remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. And, and I want you to key, the key word is therefore. You know, therefore is referring back to what's before. And what we've got to realize is that Paul isn't writing this and it isn't like separate thoughts where he said, well, let me first I'll write about our identity in Christ and then let's talk about how you're saved and let's in a new topic here. Well, let me talk about the church and community. No, he's writing one idea that's progressing. And he says, okay, I want, I want you to understand. And I said, okay, what does he want to understand? What does he, how's this built on? Well, let's go back to the end of chapter one. In chapter one, he starts off saying, this is your identity in Christ. This is who you are. You're chosen by him. You're, you know, you're set apart. And then he prays at the end of chapter one that our eyes would be enlightened, that we'd be able to believe a number of things. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he said, okay, I want, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart, that you would understand, that you would believe, that you would really get this. And specifically, when you say the hope that was called you, the riches of the saints, that's what he talked about in chapter one. That you would understand that you aren't pulpers. You know, that you aren't just stuck in your sin. Your identity isn't in who you were. No, you have been set free. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been adopted and made a child of the God. You are now part of your children of the king. You're royalty. That is your identity. And I'm saying, I, I, I pray that you would get that, that you wouldn't just have it theologically, but the eyes of your heart would understand it so that you believed it and you lived it. Now, then he goes to verse 19. And he's continuing to pray, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And now he's praying, okay, I pray that you would understand his power that is at work in you, how he wants to change your life from the inside out. Now, this is all looking forward. And then he's going to get into chapter 2 and he's going to say, this is how God's power works in your life. And then in verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2, he describes how God's power works in us individually. And he describes how, you know, that, that God's word, uh, grace will come into our life and where there's brokenness, he's going to bring healing and where there's deadness, he puts life and vitality. And, and, it's, and it's not the result of our effort. It's not what we do, but it's by grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works that no one can boast. And he not only saves us from our sins, he not only saves us into relationship with him, but then he wants his power to work through us so that our lives are different. They have significance. They have matter. He calls us literally to a life of good works, of, of changed life. For we are his workmanship. We're his poem. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Now, that's the emphasis of verses 1 through 10. And now when we come to verses 11 through 22, he's continuing the theme of this prayer of how God's power works in our lives. But instead of focusing just on the individual work of God in our lives, he now focuses on how God works in us corporately, how God gives us his power through our involvement through the church, through community. See, the idea is that there's a connectedness between our personal growth and community. There's a necessity of this community. Now, we can look at this and we can say, okay, well, I see this, but it, part of me repels against it because, because this doesn't vibe with our you know, contemporary American values. See, American values, we're very much individualism and personal religion and personal walk. And, 
In fact, this was even illustrated some years ago by a, a survey. Somebody went and asked the survey, a national survey, uh, do you believe you could be a very good Christian and, or a very good Jew without attending a church or a synagogue? 81% of the people that it was, were asked responded, yes, you could be a, not only a Christian, but you could be a very good Christian or a very good Jew without attending any kind of worship. Now, that's not what this passage is teaching. This passage is teaching God's power comes into your life. How? Well, the first part of it, there's an individual. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. There is a personal walk, you know, that, that's clearly there, but it doesn't stop, stop there. That's the starting point. But see, if you really want to experience the full power of God's work in your life, if you really want to experience full transformation, you got to be involved in the church. you got to be involved in community. It's not just a personal relationship with Christ. And as much as our culture may say that, it's got to go deeper. See, we've got to realize that this is something that's a struggle because, again, American culture is not only focused on individual, individualism, but even if you look at trends in the culture, there are things that drive this even deeper. In fact, let me kind of look at a couple of trends in the culture that kind of go side by side, but, but they kind of lead in almost opposite ways. On the one hand, there's, there is a spiritual, growing spiritual hunger. Um, when you talk to people, and there's a lot of talk about spirituality, not necessarily Christianity, but spirituality. Uh, you know, you go to a, a bookstore, there's a large section on spirituality. Small part of it is Christianity, but a lot of spirituality. So there's interest in faith and in the soul and, and uh, spirituality, however people define that. But even as there's a growing interest in that, at the same time, there's a rejection of organized religion. So there's a hunger for faith, but not necessarily the church. And, um, and even when people pursue Christianity, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it my own way, my own walk with Christ. And we reject the authority of the church. So you hear people now, a common statement, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Or I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Kind of saying, I've got this spiritual thing, but I'm going to reject the church. Now, when we look at that from a Christian standpoint, that doesn't, that doesn't match with what the Bible teaches. I mean, again, when we look at this, we see, you know, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and we look at that and we say, by grace you've been saved, by faith, here's a personal walk, here's how God meets you personally, here's how God's power is in your life personally. And we may like that, we're comfortable with that, that fits our value system, but then we come to verses 11 through 20, and Paul says, okay, now that's the starting point, but to fully experience God's power in your life, well, now you've got to connect deeply within church community. And, and we say, well, wait, wait a second, I, I don't like that as much. You know, let's just stick to the personal thing. But Paul puts these ideas together. You know, it's, it's, if I want to experience all of God's power, it's not just a personal thing, it's also a corporate thing. It's not just something that we happen personally, it also happens when we're connected into community. It's not just something that Paul teaches, we're gonna, it's actually throughout the whole Bible. Now, someone might object, you know, now you're saying that I can't be a Christian without being a member of the church or without being involved? No, that's not what I'm saying. Again, even if you look in Ephesians, it's saying that God meets us. It begins with this personal relationship with Christ. We're saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, not by any works, including things like being involved in the church. But while verses 1 to 10 tell us how we're saved, verses 11 through 22 then say, now that once you're saved, how do you experience the full presence of God? How do you experience that full presence of transformation? See, the question is, can we grow to become, not can you become a Christian without being involved in a church? I think you can. 
but can you grow to become a mature Christian without being connected to the church? And I think what this teaches and what the rest of the Bible teaches is, no, you can't. That's an essential part of Christian growth. See, the Bible is teaching us throughout, you know, if you come and you say, well, you know, I'm looking for God and I want to be connected, I want to grow, but I want to do it on my own. As much as a lot of people say I can be a good Christian without being connected, that's our contemporary value. That's not the teaching of, that's not the wisdom of God. That's not what's being taught throughout the Bible. See, now, if we understand this, we need to understand not only do we need the church, in a sense, to attend or to be a member, but, but there's something about the nature of the church that calls us to a Christ-centered community, something that's deeper. Look at, look at verses, uh, if you have your Bibles, look at 21 and 22 in Ephesians 2. It says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what it's teaching is that we're being built into this holy temple, a dwelling place for God. Now in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where people went to get access to God. That's where God's presence was. Now, as believers, now in the New Testament era, how do we experience God's presence? How do we experience God's, um, you know, access to him? And we can say, well, in our own prayers, and Christ is with us. He'll never leave us and forsake us. And well, in one sense, yes. But there's another sense where that's incomplete. And what we need to realize is that Paul's using an image here that is actually used numerous times throughout the New Testament. That as believers who, you know, who make up the church, we are being built up together to be a temple. Now, what this implies is when you say the, the temple, it implies the sense that for us to experience the full presence of God, it happens only when we're together. When we're together as the temple of God. That's, I think, part of the meaning behind Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18, when he said this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst you. Now, is God with me when I am by myself? Yes. So then why does he say this? Why is it where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you? Because he's with me by himself, but there's a sense that he's with me in a different way when I'm with other believers. That I experience part of his presence by myself, but if I want to experience the full presence, the full power, there's something that I can't get by myself. Now, some might say, okay, well, okay, it means coming to church. Does it just coming to church, or you know, how involved should we be? Well, let's look at, again, what this passage is, because it gives us three pictures of what the church should be, three metaphors, three pictures to help us understand this. And, uh, and they describe the nature of our relationship to the church. What we're going to see is that they're increasing in intensity. They're pictures that, in a sense, build on each other. They start something and then grow. The first one is in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. So first of all, we are members of a new nation. We aren't uh, strangers. We aren't aliens. That we are part of this natural, uh, national community. Now this is pretty intense. You know, that when you think about it, you say, okay, you're part of a nation. You're part of your identity. That's, that's, that's significant. That, that he's saying, okay, now as a follower of Christ, we might identify ourselves as, I'm a Buckeye, I'm from Ohio, you know, I'm from the United States. And Well, okay, you're that, but you're something more than that. There's a new identity that precedes that, that, that exceeds that, that is greater than that. You have now been made a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that is a more important identity. You are literally part of this new group. You are a new race, that, that we have this new race, this new nation of people. 
Now, that's powerful. But then there's another one that's even more powerful, more intense. Um, second is in verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. We are not only citizens of a new nation, we are members of a new family. Now, when you look at that, that is even stronger. It doesn't say that we are members of his house, you know, that we're part of this group, that we are members of his household. We're part of this family. Now, the first one is strong to be a citizen, but now that's even stronger. We're not only a citizen, we're part of God's family. God isn't only our king, he's our father. We're not only like fellow citizens, we're now siblings, we're blood, we're, you know, we're brothers and sisters. And the third picture even goes further. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for, the, for, for God by the Spirit. And what this is teaching is that we are a building block in God's dwelling. A, a building block that's building this temple where God's very presence lives. We are God's dwelling place. We are stones that are built up as a habitation for God's spirit, for his glory. Now, this picture reveals a, an incredible picture, not only of unity, but also connection. Think of it this way. Does, does God inhabit a stone? No. When, when you look at it, you, say, is it, is it, you look at the temple, it's not the stone that's inhabited, but it's the stones that come together. When the stones are together to form a temple, that's where God is. And he's saying, again, in these pictures, there's a sense that God doesn't meet us in the same way individually. It's when we come together that God is there in a unique way. And here's what I want you to see in these pictures. There's an intensity, but an increasing intensity. There's an increasing intensity about our relationship with God. So think about it. Okay, first one, we are citizens. And what is our relationship with God? Well, he is our king. He knows us. He cares for us. He, he's sovereign over us. But but then he, we're not only part of the citizen, citizen, we're part of his family. So he's not only our king, now we relate to him as our father. That's far more intense. But then he got, not only goes to that, now we're part of this temple. And so now he is not only with us, he is indwelling us. He's not only near us, he's in us. You can't get more intense, more uh, intimate than that. Well, it's not only an increasing intensity with our connection with God. How about our connection with each other? Okay, think about it there. First one is citizens. Now, that's an important one. You know, we're citizens of the same, you know, you just go out. I know we're out of, um, out of state a couple, you know, a couple months ago, and we're out hiking somewhere, and, you know, I'd have my Ohio State shirt on, and, and somebody would walk by if they're from Ohio, you know, first thing is, O-H-I-O, you know, you just come out and say, there's a link, there's a sense of saying, we have this common citizenship, we share that. Again, this is way more intense. We're common citizens of this new identity in Christ. But not only that, but we are family. So we are, you know, connected um, in a sense, one spiritual genetic material. We're brothers and sisters. And third illustration, we're a temple. We're cemented together. We are, you know, there's nothing between us. You can't get more close than that. Now, as we look at this, let me just ask this question. As you look at your own involvement within the church, how does your involvement match up to these metaphors? You know, are you saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm experiencing that, I'm part of this community, a part of this family, part of this temple, that's, that's my reality, or, 
And you're like, well, I'm coming. I attend every once in a while. And I'm, I'm going to just challenge you from a standpoint. Let God's word speak. And you say, well, how involved should I be? What should I do? Well, I'm not even going to give you the specifics of that. I'm just going to say, you need to try to work to match these metaphors. This is the picture of what's normal. Again, now this isn't something that's, that's automatic. It doesn't happen easily. It's something that's a struggle. The Bible, God isn't calling, is calling us to it because it's something that is difficult. But yet it's what God is calling us to. And because it's something difficult, it's something that we have to pursue. It's something that we have to make our priority. We have to work towards it. That's, again, why you have this teaching in the Bible, because it's saying, it, it's, you know, if, if it were easy, if it came naturally, God wouldn't have to call us to pursue it. And so what does it mean? How do we pursue it? Now, again, let's go back to these pictures. Let's go back to these word in, you know, metaphors, and, because they tell us something not only about the importance, but even about how we're to pursue it. One is that when I say it's essential, what I mean by that is I'm going to take it in the most literal translation of the word. It's essential because it's actually literally an expression of our essence. So a lot of times when we think about a passage like this, you might say, well, okay, what are you calling us to do? What should I do? You know, what should I, how, you know, how does, what does God want me to do? And, and can you convince me that it's good for me and then I'll do it? See, and what I want you to see is that this is not teaching us about what we're supposed to do. It's teaching us who we are. It's not that we're called to do these things. We are citizens. We are family. We are the temple. And the question isn't what we do. The question is, are we actually living up to who we are? You know, the problem is that sometimes we can look at things and we can say, well, I'm just a normal Christian. I go on Sunday morning. I try to get there, you know, three, four times, you know, three times a month maybe, and and, uh, well, you got the really committed people. They, they do this, and they're involved in this. And what I want you to see is what he's teaching us here is that, is that if we understand this is our essence, then being involved at this level is what's normal because it's simply being who we are. And if we're not being involved in each other's lives in this way, then it's abnormal because it's actually not living up to, the, to, the, to our true identity. We are family, and if we're not relating to family, well, something's wrong. We are a temple, and if we're not relating that way, something's wrong. Again, this is hard because there's something innate about us that wants to hide. And part of that is, is that we all have wounds. You know, we could all come in here and say, well, part of it is, man, I was, used to be involved and had these close friends, and somebody hurt me, and, and somebody, you know, tr trusted them, and I shared something, and they broke the trust. And, and for many of us, that's part of our, our, our story. Okay, but even let me ask you this. Um, we're also part of the church, right? Now, have, how many of you have been the perfect, reliable friend to every friend that you've had in the church for all time? Anybody said, I've, I've never let anybody down? No, none of us can say that. Why? Because we're all sinners. We all let each other down. Now, what happens when I let somebody else down, when I failed somebody else in some way? I come to them and I say, hey, show me grace, show me patience. Let me explain what's going on. Let me, I want you to show me grace and patience. And, but then when you let me down, it's like, man, I can't believe it. I just don't want to take that risk again. You know, I've just... Now, here's what we need to realize as part of the golden rule is, no, I need to treat others as I want to be treated. I need to learn to show grace and patience towards other people even as I want them to show grace and patience to me. Why? Because we all are in the same place. We all are sinners. We all have common problems. You want even a simple illustration of that? Okay, if you're married, um, how many of you 
remember that first big fight that you got with your spouse? Did you walk out on them when you had that first fight? I, we had this fight, and I'm out of here. You're gone. You know, it's like, did you do that? Of course not. I mean, what happens is we get in a fight, we have this major, you know, major thing, and some people are saying, well, no, we've been married five years, we've never had a fight, never happened. You know, it's like, yeah, right, right, you know, like, no, we all have had those. But what happens is there's something about the nature of family that means we're going to offend each other and we're going to work it through. And healthy relationships going to resolve conflict. And what happens when we resolve the conflict is we actually come out of it stronger, healthier. Now, again, if the Bible uses this illustration that we are family, that means that we should have that kind of commitment. And when we have that kind of commitment, what happens is hopefully we come out of it stronger. Because that's what family is. That's what family does. But even in this, we battle against our culture. You know, one of the practical ways, and many of us are still struggling with this, is, is the effects of COVID-19. You know, many of us, you know, maybe we're involved in the past, and then COVID hit, and, you know, we got used to not coming, and we, you know, been online, and, and uh, you know, we just got out of the habit of being part of any kind of small group or any kind of ministry. And, in fact, I, I talked to a, a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and, and he's like, man, he's got so many percentage. In fact, that national poll just a couple months ago, 45% of people um, that attended churches currently haven't, hadn't come back as of two months ago. And, and that's sad. But it, a lot of people that have come back, they just haven't gotten involved. And what we need to realize is that, no, God calls us to be involved. Some churches have even kind of bought into this. I read about a big church in Denver that sold their property and said, hey, we're going to do all uh, virtual services from now on. And, well, it's working. Well, I don't care if, if you think it's working from a business standpoint. It's not working biblically. That's not what God calls us to. God calls us to be involved in each other's lives, even when it's difficult. And, in fact, I think of Hebrews chapter 10. God anticipated this kind of thing happening. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Is it the habit of some? Even back then, there were excuses. Even back then, that was happening. But in instead, we need to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It becomes more important as if things get difficult. It becomes more important as we see the crises around us. My friends, we've got to be committed to this. We've got to be committed to seeing this as something that's part of our essence. And, and as part of that, we learn to be transparent and accountable with each other. Again, think about the metaphors. Okay, you're part of a family. Okay, some of you are still single. And, and you know, when you're single, and for those of us you know, can remember way back when, it's like, okay, when you're single, you could do what you want. You know, if you want to eat whatever you want, you, know, you can go where you want. You know, when something comes up, it's like you can make a decision. You're on your own. And then you get married, and that doesn't work very well. You know, if you try that, you know, suddenly realize, okay, no, what happens is, you know, something happens, I get a phone call, I can't just decide, I've got to check with, with Sandy, hey, can we do this, what's going on tonight? And, and suddenly there's, a, there's an accountability. Why? Because we're involved in each other's lives. Okay, take the picture of a temple. Okay, a temple is a bunch of, of stones, and they're all held together by the stones around them. You take a couple of those stones out, everything falls down. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be part of this temple, part of this wall, which we're supporting each other. And it means even to some degree transparency. It means that we're involved in each other's lives. Again, let's think about somebody comes over, you know, comes over and you're, let's clean up the house. I'm going to close the bedroom door. I'm going to close this door. You know, I don't want people to see this. And 
Now, what happens when you get married? If I say, okay, let me close this door, let me hide this, you know, the fact is I've got my wife who's living with me there. For me to try to hide things is kind of silly. She's going to see it. She's going to know it. Family's aware of what's going on in each other's lives. And you know what? We've got to realize we're family. We're all sinners. We all struggle in the same way. Yes, we have things to hide. We have shame, but we're experiencing God's healing through it. And we should share about that. We should talk about it. We should be the place where God, where we long for. Is it scary? Is it difficult? Does it go against our nature? Yes, but we desperately need it. And only in the gospel can we really understand what it looks like. Because there's a necessity to it. Not only for our own life, but even in our walk with God. What does it say again? He said that, you know, this is how we experience the power of God. Part of community. There's something in this temple that we say, okay, I'm not going to experience it by myself. I've got to get together. And God meets us when he, we're there together. Now, why? Let me just, even in closing, just go back to a story that I think illustrates why this is important. Just to even see in human friendships, human relationships, why this makes sense. In the beginning, I started with C.S. Lewis and what he writes in his book, of The Four Loves, and he talked about these three friends that he had, and one of them died, and he thought, okay, well, at least I've got, you know, I've got uh, Ronald, and I'll get more of him than I did before. And then he was surprised to realize that wasn't the case. Um, what he found is that he didn't get more of Ronald. He got less. Because what he realized is that there was a part of Ronald that Charles brought out that he didn't. And when you think about different relationships, you think of people and you say, oh man, I love to be with that person. And it draws out part of your personality. And there's something wonderful about that. And here's what Lewis says, said about that in this book. Here's his quote. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights uh, than my own to show all his facets. I've got to have these other relationships. If I really want close relationships, I've got to have other people involved. We've got to be involved in each other's lives because we draw that out. Now, this was the key thing. He said, then suddenly realized, if that's true about my friendships with human beings, how much more true is it in my relationship with God? If I can't draw out all of Jesus by myself so that I see all the facets of who he is, if I can't do that with another person, how, can, how do I think I'm going to do that without God? And so what do I need? I need other people to be involved in my life and involved in my relationship with God. I need to be talking with other people. What's God teaching you? And praying with other people and learning with other people and letting other people realize that they have other experiences of God. They're going to see aspects and draw out aspects of God and of Jesus Christ that I may not see. And in fact, if I don't, you see, if I'm doing it all by myself, I'm getting less of Jesus. I'm getting less of God. I'm getting less of the Bible. I'm getting less of his power. Even as we understand that that's true in human relationship, it is magnified in the truth as it relates to God. And so what do we need? We need to realize our connection with God is linked with our community with each other. We need to have this community. And as a church, you know, I want to encourage you, you know, if you're here, you may be some online. You know, you say, okay, in this time of COVID, and it's great that we've had this available, and it's great for people that are unable to attend physically. If you're able to attend physically, I want to challenge you. Try to get to church. You need to be here in person. You're missing something if all you're doing is watching a screen. And, if, and for some that say, well, I live somewhere else. Well, find a church where you can be involved somewhere else. Find a community where you can be involved, where you can be connected. That's essential. It's part of what God is teaching. 
And we want to continue to offer the online services, but as a supplement, and for those that are at a place in life where they can't come in person, but it shouldn't be the main course. For others, you know, maybe we've, you know, we've just you know, gotten back on Sunday morning, but we just haven't gotten back in the small groups. And as a church, that's why we put such emphasis on our community groups. We have numerous community groups that meet before this service. Um, you know, groups that meet in, at 8.15 and 11 for those that attend the other service. We have groups that meet you know, throughout evenings and the night we have, or throughout the week of all different kinds of men's groups and women's groups and seniors groups and, you know, young marrieds group and, you know, Wednesday night group. And we have, you know, youth, the same thing, you know, Wednesday night, the community groups, it's places to connect. And I want to encourage you, stretch out, take the risk, make the time. Because it's not just a good thing to do, it's actually an expression of who we are in Christ. And if you don't do that, you're missing something essential. You're missing something about the full power and, 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 and transformative you know, image of God working in your life. You're, you're only getting part of what you can get by yourself. How can we help you do that? How can we, and if you I want to be involved in a group, but I'm not sure it's available, call us, let us know, help us, let us help you find the right community that, that you can be involved in. We've got so many in our church. We have that many because it's that important and we want to do everything we can to help you find one where you're connected, where you're growing. Because we don't want you to miss out on the full power of God and all that God intends to do in your life. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Let us help you. And that's it for this week's message. If you'd like to get in touch, send us a text to 330-644-6121. Easter is almost here. We have a lot of great things planned for Easter Sunday, Good Friday, and we have special events planned for kids. Learn more at ccpl.life connect. There you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.